Once upon a time, there was a priest who needed to talk to his bishop. So he went to the bishop's house one morning and knocked on the door, and the housekeeper opened the door, and he said, I'd like to speak with the bishop. And the housekeeper said, I'm sorry, you can't. The bishop died this morning. And he said, oh, okay. And he left. A couple hours later, he thought, I really need to talk to the bishop. So he went back to the bishop's house and knocked on the door, and the housekeeper came, and he said, I I need to talk to the bishop. And she said, you can't talk to the bishop. He died today. Oh, okay. So the priest left. And a third time that day, he went back and knocked on the door and said, I really need to talk to the bishop. And the housekeeper said, what part don't you understand? And the priest said, oh, I understand you. I just like to hear you say it. The mixed reaction is not what I was expecting, because I laughed at that really hard. When you study leadership, the philosophy of leadership, one of the very first lessons that you learn in that, because it's a common sense lesson, is that a person who is in charge, they set the tone so much for the culture of the place. They set the tone so much for the direction of the place. They set the kind of maybe the tasks, okay, but there's a lot that goes on. You guys who run companies or who are in charge of things or run households, you know that there's more to a place than just the tasks getting done, right? The generation today would call it the vibe of the place. Your vibe attracts your tribe, of course, which is one of my favorite lines. And now I know you're not gonna laugh at anything I say today, so let's keep moving. What vibe? does your place of work have? What was the vibe of the diocese if that was the priest's reaction to learning that his bishop had died? What vibe does your house have, do your classrooms have? And today on the Feast of Christ the King, I want to ask you, what vibe does the kingdom of God have? And what do you think people hear when they hear about the kingdom of God? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What do you think a lot of people hear when that is said? What do you hear when that is said? Do you perceive an invitation there? Or do you instantly go to a place where you say, oh, here's all the reasons why I'm not worthy? Or do you go to a place where you say, been there, done that, not interested? Too many hypocrites there, or whatever. What is the vibe of the kingdom of God? Are you surprised that tonight, as we celebrate the culmination of the liturgical year, Advent is next week, it's hard to believe, the great solemnity of Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, are you surprised to hear readings about sheep and shepherds? Those of you who know the Lord will not be surprised to hear readings about sheep and shepherds. Because we know, as you can see, this beautiful statue right in front of me, Jesus is holding everything in his hand. All power, all dominion, all authority belong to him. 
And yet, we're not talking about mighty armies or great fanfares and trumpets. We're talking about sheep and shepherds. I will tend my flock. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. But it takes a little while to get there in our lives, doesn't it? It often takes a lot of difficulty to get there in our life, doesn't it? And there's a lot of people who haven't experienced the difficulty or who haven't let themselves experience the difficulty because our reaction to difficulty in this day and age is typically to medicate it away somehow. And that's not necessarily a a condemnation of this culture because there's a lot of people here who have been around just a little longer than me. And you know that human nature is human nature is human nature. I have a friend that says, people gonna people, (laughs) which is true in every age and every time. People gonna people. Life's hard out there. It's difficult out there. And yes, of course, in every moment it's filled with little joys and we want to be aware of them and we want to look out for them because they make the difficulty worth it. The communion of people around us, our parish community, the sacraments, beautiful sunset, sparrow coffee, of course. These things that bring... You laugh at that, but not... Okay. Man, Naperville has changed. Just kidding. But that doesn't undo the difficulty, does it? If a trip to Sparrow undid the difficulty of our lives, I would have negative difficulty. It doesn't undo it. It mitigates it. It steps it to the side somehow. But we are told over and over in the scriptures, over and over in the witness of people who know Jesus, that it is precisely in an intimate relationship with him that we are able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. There's nothing I shall want. I'm at peace. What is the vibe of the kingdom of God? The vibe of the kingdom of God is a vibe of mercy. And that's even a difficult word, isn't it? Because we equate today mercy with sort of a dismissal. If I'm merciful, it means that I'm just letting it go. But that's not what mercy is, of course. Mercy is always united with justice. It has to be. Otherwise, it's not mercy. It's just like complacency or something. Justice has to always be united with mercy because without mercy, justice just becomes tyranny, right? You become a monster if you're all justice and no mercy. So we speak about a mercy that is challenging. We speak about a mercy that's challenging. And I think when we are finding ourselves face-to-face, especially with our own sin, but face-to-face with all the difficult things that have happened in our life that we feel like disqualify us from being truly welcome in these pews, from being truly welcome in a community like this, from being true Christians, whatever it means to be a true Christian out there, right? The things that we sort of think, oh, if people knew about that, if God knew about that, the priest knew about that, if my family knew about that, I would be disqualified. Oftentimes, when we think about those things, I think we're okay with the consequences most of the time because in kindergarten, what do you learn? I hope you know it by kindergarten, but actions have what? Consequences, duh. Actions have consequences. That's so simple. 
But what I think we have trouble intuiting is that consequences don't necessarily equal disqualification, right? Every action is going to have some kind of equal or opposite reaction. I don't know if you learned that in kindergarten. I hope not. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you have no place in your family. It doesn't mean that you have no place in the kingdom of God. So we want to take those two things in tension, don't we? That mercy does not equal a just complacency, do whatever you want, God loves you, Jesus is a rainbow kind of mentality. But you also don't want to fall into the trap that says, i got to be holy by Tuesday. <laughs> i got to be perfect. i got to know it all. i got to have it all down before I can approach the throne of grace, before I'm worthy to receive whatever it is that he wants to give me. I have to have it all figured out. You don't have to do that either. So what do you have to do? What do you have to do? I will let you know when I figure it out. But here's what I'm trying to do. What I want to know is how many of you here have a deep appreciation for the totality of your own story? How many of you have a deep appreciation for the totality of your own story? I was working with someone recently who was addicted to drugs, or addicted to cocaine, and the person said, the greatest gift I ever received in my life was an addiction. And I was like, what? And they said, because the difficulty of that and getting where I am now, free from that, has caused my whole life to take shape. So like if you went back and every single mistake you ever made, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. And if you went back and only lived all the joys that you've ever lived, they wouldn't be so great because you would get tired of them. There's a place in Michigan that we go every summer, and my mom and I love to watch the sunset from the same picnic table. We've watched it there from the time I was like 10. And after your third night doing it, you're sort of like, all right. The first night gets the, the feature on the Instagram story, and look how lucky I am, and you're not, and I'm on vacation, and this is so beautiful. And the second night, you think, all right, I'm not going to do that with the phone, but it really is beautiful. And the third night, you're like, get me inside. I'm done with this. So if all your life was just reliving joy after joy after joy, it would lose its sweetness. If somebody asked you, why are you the way that you are? If somebody asked you, where has the work of Jesus been in your life? If somebody asked you, how is the vibe of mercy lived out in your life? How have you suffered and how have you known new life? Would you be able to answer them? Would you be able to give them a good answer? An answer that says, this is something that I am conscious of. That's the best question to ask to get to know someone. How have you suffered? Not because we're sadistic and we love to hear about how terrible people's lives are, but because it's sometimes only through that kind of way of storytelling that we really begin to see the work of God at work. And what's the point of it all? What's the point? It's in the second reading. Where is he leading you? You're his sheep. He's the shepherd. Where is he leading you? It says Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's been raised from the dead. And he is the first to rise from the dead. And that those who are in him are on the same path as him. 
toward resurrection from the dead. And we mean this in both the nice kind of, um, the holy way, right, that we think of it as, or a kind of pious way. We mean that. That we want to rise from our difficulty. We want to rise out of darkness. We want to rise from our sin, right? We're dead in sin and we want to rise above it. You have difficulty in your life, rise above it. We mean that. That's true. We can't, can't diminish that. But every Christian from the beginning of this thing 2,000 years ago, and you profess it every time you say the creed, and you probably don't even think about it. I don't think about it all the time. But you say it. I believe in the resurrection of the body. So you not only believe that there's life for you here and now, that the power of sin and death over you has been vanquished and that Jesus wants to raise you now, but we're also saying that we believe that after this life on earth, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that the resurrection of the Son of God is actually just a prefigurement of the resurrection for me. And that there will be a life where mercy and justice reign perfectly together. But you don't have to wait for heaven for that. <laughs> you don't have to die and go to heaven for that. And you don't have to live in such fear of waking up one day and discovering that you have like a little billy goat gruff thing in your little horns and suddenly you're a goat. And oh no, I'm on the wrong side of this thing. That's not how this works. The goats have been goats their whole life. They're not surprised to be goats. Which, of course, is just to say that you reap what you sow. And that's the final point I want to make today, is that participation in the kingdom of God, the kingdom over which Jesus reigns as the true king with all power and glory and dominion and authority, that kingdom is a kingdom that is totally your choice. Totally your choice. And Jesus is so respectful that he and his father will respect the choice that you make. And if you choose to be a goat, and you say, I don't need it, I don't want it, and you persist and persist and persist, that's the way you chose, baby. That's how it goes. And the other side of that is true. That the Lord who knows your heart, who sees you, who sees that while you may be a uh, in French, an um idiot, a silly little guy, while you're living your life out there. Maybe you, you don't have a lot of great worldly qualities. Maybe you make mistakes all the time. But he can also see that a number of fibers of true malice that live in you. True hatred for God, true disinterest in God. He sees that. And I don't know your hearts, and I'm certainly not saying that everybody is saved or whatever, but what I am saying is that I think a, a lot of you are a whole lot less in trouble with God than you think you are. But if you're not willing to hear that and to look at life maybe a little bit differently as not one struggle after the other to impress God, gotta get him to love me, gotta get him to know me, gotta get him to see me, and what if we learn to rejoice in what was already there, to receive the gift that was already there, and I think a lot of things would be different, not just for us, but I think for the whole world. So if Jesus is our leader, and presumably if, if the housekeeper of the Lord said, I'm sorry, he's dead, <laughs> um, I don't think that our reaction would be to go back to the housekeeper and make fun of it. Because he sets the tone for his kingdom. He sets the culture for his kingdom. And we all know a lot of dysfunctional cultures out there, don't we? But in this place, in this house, there is not a dysfunctional culture. 
There is not a dysfunctional, narcissistic leader. There is not a leader who we are glad when they die. Because in here we only have Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Mary, who has come to lead you out of darkness and into light, to lead you out of death and into life, to lead you out of whatever the pain is that you brought in here, that you were convinced that this trip to church would be like every other trip to church and you're just going to leave here as the same old um idiot that you were when you came in here. And he looks at you today and he says, my kingdom is not like that. My kingdom is not a cancel culture. My kingdom is not a, a, a place of constant proving and need to rise above others and outdo others. It's not a kingdom of manipulation. It's not a kingdom of fear. It's a kingdom of mercy, a kingdom of justice and mercy in which I, Jesus, are, uh, am everything that you could possibly imagine. So when you receive the Eucharist tonight, that's what you're doing. That's what you're receiving. When you say amen, yeah, you're saying amen. This is the body and blood of Christ. But who is it exactly? Whose body and blood is it exactly? It's the one who sets the tone for everything. And what would our life be like? What would our culture be like? Our city be like? If we acted like people who worked for someone, who loved someone, who were in a relationship with someone, who were led by someone, who was shepherded by someone, who set the healthiest, most human, most rational possible culture you can imagine. It's an amazing thing. So he is the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He is leading you out of whatever it is that you brought in here today. And he is the king, which means, which means... Everything that he promises you, life in abundance now and then, forgiveness now and then, healing of the past, both now and whatever is to come, whatever he promises you, he can accomplish. Amen? So may it be, and may he be with us always to show us the way.